Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. It's already been a great morning as we have celebrated dads. You know, I, I, I just don't think there's a higher calling on any man's life, higher than being a dad, given the honor and the responsibility uh, to raise your children to have influence on young lives and literally to influence uh, the next generation. So dads, you're doing a great job. Hang in there. We need you. We need your involvement. And we uh, so appreciate you. I certainly want to welcome all of our first-time guests and give a shout-out to those who are joining us online uh, this morning. Well, we are in week four of our series that was supposed to be only three weeks long. And uh, I had this Father's Day message that I had in my mind about a month ago that I was going to speak today, but our series has gone over. So we're going to continue with our series. We're studying the book of Habakkuk. And if you're new to church or maybe new to the Bible, you go, Habakkuk, what? Like, that is a strange name. Yes, it is. And he's a, he's a minor prophet. He's a, he's a prophet of God from the Old Testament. And there's a book named after him. And it's a tiny little book. It's only about two and a half pages long. So it's no wonder it's hard to find in the Bible. I mean, the Bible has over a thousand pages, and all of a sudden you're supposed to find the one little book with two pages in the middle of your Bible. Very challenging to find. Though it is small, it's not insignificant. And though it's not a popular book to preach from, it's rich. And yet, it's also heavy. And today, it's going to be a little bit... uh, a little bit leans on, on the heavy side this morning. We began this series because we're, we're just trying to answer the question, what do you do when God doesn't do what you think he ought to be doing? It's a question I think all of us have had at one time or another in our life. And, and the book of Habakkuk really is like listening in on a conversation. It's a conversation that's taking place between God and Habakkuk. And I am sure when this conversation was taking place, Habakkuk never thought it was going to be recorded so we could read about it, you know, uh, thousands of years later. Habakkuk is a prophet of God, and some people would be quite surprised that a prophet of God would have this kind of a conversation with God. I think most people would think, well, if you're a prophet of God, you're, you're, you're in tight with God and everything's cool. And uh, it's true, Habakkuk is tight with God. I mean, his name means to embrace But in this relationship, it's a little stressful. God is good and sovereign, and yet those things exist. So that's why Habakkuk is is having some problems with God. He doesn't like the fact, uh, number one, that Judah, who had gone through this huge reformation, they had turned their lives back to God, and for 31 years a king reigned, and he was a godly king, and then all of a sudden he was killed, and... Now Jehoiakim, the son, is reigning. And, and all the work that had been accomplished over 31 years now, it seems to have vanished. And the people of God have just gone back to their old ways, creating and building idols and, and worshiping false god. And, and Habakkuk is saying, God, I don't know why. Why are you allowing this? Like, well, what's going on? God, I don't understand. What, why don't you do something? And then, of course, we discover God says, oh, I am going to do something. I am going to do something. He says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians along. To, dis- to discipline you. And that's, frankly, when Habakkuk freaks out. He literally freaks out. Because he said, whoa, what? 
the Babylon, what? They're, they're so much more wicked than we are. How could you use people like that? Uh, surely, well, you're not going to do it. That's just not going to happen. I mean, that's what Habakkuk thinks. I mean, God, why are you being so unfair? That's what his question is. Because he feels like God is being unfair to him. And why has he come to that conclusion? Let's pick it up in verse 2. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch. This is Habakkuk talking. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answers I am to give to this complaint. So you see what Habakkuk is saying? I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to watch. I'm just going to see what you're going to say, what I have to say. It says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. You know, just as I was reading those couple of verses, I, I couldn't help but just notice that Habakkuk stops he stops, and he's going to listen. He stops, and he's going to listen to what God has to say. I, you know, our lives are so busy, aren't they? And sometimes it's really hard just to stop and to listen to what God has to say. You know, to quiet things down. None of us usually like quietness. I mean, we like to have music, talking, TV in the back, something that's quiet. Oh, it's hard. But it seems as though that's what Habakkuk says. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to listen. And then God says, listen, you write this down, what I'm about to tell you. And I think it's good for us sometimes. You know, sometimes God speaks to us, right, through his word, or we're praying, and we have this sense that God's impressing upon us. And I think it's good for us to write things down. Because sometimes we forget. You know, I've, you know sometimes you, you ask for directions, Hey, how do you get to some place? And they'll go, oh, you go down the road, uh, you take your second right, your third left, you come to the stop sign, go to the intersection, you go around the circle, go two miles, and turn right again. And yeah, oh yeah, I got it. And then halfway you're like, oh, why didn't I write that down? I forgot. Right? So we're told, right here, God says, write it down. And then he says, and then wait for it. Wait. Boy, that's hard. That's a hard, that's a dirty little word, isn't it? A four-letter word called wait. Wait. You know, God's delays are not his denials. He says, wait. And you know what happens when we don't wait? This is what happens to me. So I'm sure we probably share the same experience. When we're not willing to wait on God, what happens oftentimes, we run, we get full of despair, we begin to attack, we begin to get fussy because we're not willing to wait on God. You know, you think of some of the great characters of the Bible. Moses, 40 years he waited before God was going to use him to lead the people out of Egypt. 40 years what do, you, what do you think about Abraham? He was given this great promise that you'll have a son and there'll be a great nation from you. And he waited for 25 years. You can imagine at 75 years old, getting this news that you're gonna have a son, how excited you'd be. Now, Lord, now? I'm 80, now, Lord? I'm 85, <laughs> Lord. I don't know if you caught that on my last birthday, but I turned 90, right? Now, Lord, 
95. Now, Lord! <laughs> and of course, we find out that it was hard to wait and he got panicky and started taking things in his own hands. But 25 years, he waited. You think of Joseph as a teenager was given this incredible vision that one day he would be a great leader. And what happens? He gets the snot beaten out of him, sold into slavery, and it seems as though to rot in prison for the rest of his life. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, he's made the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. But it took to wait, waiting. You know, some of you are here this morning, you're at a breaking point. And some of you are in that waiting zone. And waiting, by the way, does not mean no movement. You wait, but you don't allow yourself to be paralyzed. Remember, waiters do what? They serve. So what do you do when life seems so unfair? And God maybe seems unfair. You know, what have people done in the past? What are people doing today that helps them when they find themselves in this box? Well, by faith, they stop and listen. And by faith, they write these things down. And by faith, they wait on God. So how do you get through tough times? Well, number one, you get it with, with God. With God. Habakkuk has this incredible vision that he's supposed to give to the people. Tell the people I'm going to destroy them. That's quite a story he's supposed to tell. And tell them it's going to be the Babylonians. And Habakkuk says, I don't get it. God, I love you, but I don't understand this. God, I'm going to stick with you, but this makes no sense to me. God, I'm going to embrace you, but I'm going to wrestle through this, to be honest with you. Because this does not match up to me. Remember what we said, God's love is what? Last week, God's love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. Remember that? So look at uh, Habakkuk 2, verse 4. It says, See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteousness will live by his... Oh, what does it say? But the righteous will live by faith. But the righteous will live by faith. If you can quickly turn over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Talk about people who had to live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at it. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken. Uh, verse 7. By faith, Noah. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham. By faith. By faith. 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke of the, about the exodus. By faith, Moses' parents hid him. And by faith, it's over and over and over again. By faith, we trust God to do the impossible, waiting on God. That means that we don't always have an answer for the wise, but we trust God. That even in the darkest days, 
by faith, we can believe that God is good and that he is loving and that he's at work to redeem and to restore everything unto himself. So the righteous live by faith in the face of tragedy. The righteous live by faith when they face loss. The righteous live by faith when they face devastation. See, we live by faith. That means we can't always explain everything that happens. We just know that God is good and that God is accomplishing something good even in the pain. Because God is going to use the Babylonians' wickedness, believe it or not, to correct his own people. They're going to run ramshod right over the people of God. In fact, look at verse 6. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you'll become their victims because you have plundered many nations. The people who are left will plunder you, for you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. You know, it's interesting as I read this, I, I, I admit I was struggling this week because I was like, you know, God, it seems as though there's this hard time, suffering and pain that's coming on your people. But now there seems to be suffering and pain and heartache on the people who aren't God. So you're, you're, you're doing it to both. It, it didn't make sense to me as I was reading through it. And then I, you, you start to discover that the hardship and pain was actually God's discipline on his people. But on the people who did not know God, it was his judgment. It was kind of wrath being on the, on, on the Babylonians. Well, what's interesting, it, it says here in that, those particular verses that we've just talked about, you know, those who have caused great heartache and devastation on people and have been pressed down on people, it says that one day the people will rise up. We know great stories all through history. Think of the French Revolution. Remember how, how the people were oppressed, the French, and then the people rose up. You can read that all throughout history, you know, where... Leaders have been overthrown, they've been hung and decapitated, burned alive because they finally rose up and that's exactly what it says it's going to happen here. So there is a day coming for the Babylonians as well. And then it says in verse 9, woe again, like it says, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. You can read all through that because of our time. We, we won't take time to go through all that. But here are these people. They're living in opulence. They have everything, all their safety nets, and one day it's all going to be gone. In verse 12, it says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city of iniquity. There's this judgment. Look at verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drink in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have... You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show yourself uncircumcision. The cup is the Lord's right hand. Listen to this. The cup is the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. Now this idea of cup, I think it's symbolic, actually, of the wrath of God toward man's rebellion. 
So when Jesus says in the garden, when he prays, may this cup pass from me. Is what he's saying is may this wrath that is about to be poured be able to be passed on me. And here, what's, what's happening, God, God said, this cup of wrath is about to be poured. My, my wrath will burn against their rebellion. Now, this is where it gets heavy, and this is where it gets hard, because all of us love to talk about the love of God, the compassion of God, the forgiveness of God. None of us want to talk about it. I wish that wasn't even there. I, you know, you read that, and you go, oh, that's kind of heavy. But yet it's there. That there actually is a day coming when the wrath of God will be poured out. And it's hard. It's hard, to, it's hard to reconcile it because we just love talking about the love of God. And he is. He's a God of love. But what happens is we get so focused on, on one part of God that we neglect the others. It's like back of our mind knowledge of God. You know, we, we go through our Sarnia and you talk to the culture. Most people around here are going to say, yeah, there's a God. Right? Most people are going to acknowledge that but where it gets goofy is when people start making up things about god because what happens is we just study things like he's an object like he's he's a thing not someone that we're in personal relationship and so we think well you know if god is love well then well then how can he do this right that's because you know we're we're, we we know god is forgiving and so he's like a like an idea to study and it gets very very challenging In fact, because we have this back of our mind knowledge of God, we, we assume things about God that aren't even true. You know, we, we quote stuff like it's in the Bible. Like, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Isn't that in Proverbs somewhere? Right? Or, hey, God helps those who help themselves. Proverbs 49, 7. Right? When isn't, the, isn't the opposite true? God actually helps those who cannot help themselves. It's hard sometimes to reconcile that. And so what we have here is God's wrath is being poured out on the Babylonians through difficulty, suffering, and rebellion because of this obedience. And the difficulty, suffering, and pain are also being befalled on God's people too. But the one is for discipline and the one is for wrath. In Hebrews 12 Uh, Verse 5, I'll quickly just uh, read it here. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. See, I think sometimes we get a bad idea what discipline is. Sometimes we always think discipline is because we did something bad, God's going to come down on us. But I, I, in this situation, as so I was looking through it, I think when God disciplines us, he's shaping us and molding us. He has a vision for what we are to be, the kind of men and women we're to be. And so he, he chips a little way at there and chisels a little way there. So we can become the vision that he has for us. It's not always because, oh, you're a bad little boy. I'm going to discipline you. 
You know, sometimes hardships and suffering is God's love toward us because he wants to make us into what he is for the vision that he has for us. Discipline is a vision for the future that enacts things now, today. God, the Bible says God has a vision for your life, has a picture of you. And God is bringing us to that place. And then in verse 7 of Hebrews it says, Enduring hardship as discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all have human fathers who discipline us, and we respect them for it. How much more should we subject to the Father? Our Father disciplines us for just a little while because he loves us. God just says, I got this picture of you, this vision for your life. And sometimes it just requires a, a little chiseling off of the edges. It's for your good, by the way. It's for your holiness. It's for your righteousness. And grace and peace will be there with you as I'm there with you. So an understanding of discipline versus wrath lets you really tap into this idea of God's love and mercy being manifested in difficulty. I mean, if God were to give you a beautiful spouse, great children, an awesome career, a beautiful home, great friends, and didn't give himself to you, wouldn't that be cruel? That'd be cruel. To have all that and not him. And so, the flip side is true as well. If, if God gave me nothing but blood and tears and hurt and pain, but gave him, himself to me, how merciful that would be. How merciful. And that's why I throw scripture, people who experience unreal unimaginable tragedy I still have something inside of them that is unexplainable when you look at sometimes the joy and it's not like some like oh I'm so glad I found out I had cancer oh. no that's not what I'm talking about but somehow in the midst of it all they can say God you're doing something I, you're, you're doing something that I that I never thought even imaginable. You know, I, I just this week I stopped in a, a couple times to see Alex McLean and their family, and that's that's hard. Sorry to see your dad on the hospital bed, knowing that it's days, hours away. It, it's hard, but even in the pain and and the hurt and the loss, something wells up inside that can say, God is good. How does that happen? God is, God is faithful. Through tears and through confusion, through pain, to find out that the bedrock of the grace and mercy of God is evident in Jesus Christ. So here's the question that we have to answer. And here's the question I wrap up with. The world holds many troubles if you don't know that, you haven't lived long enough. There's loss, 
loss happens. Loneliness occurs, depression creeps in, despair happens, people die, disease is real, you lose your job, and your sin catches up with you, and on and on it go. And the question you need to answer yourself, when hard times befall me, is it because I'm under wrath or I'm under mercy? Is this God's discipline or is this God's wrath? Ultimately, we're asking the question, am I a child of God or am I not a child of God? That's the question you have to ask when those hard times come into your, into your life. So that cup that we read about in Habakkuk surely will be poured out, by the way. See, that's God's wrath, will be poured out. But you know what? This is what I'm, I'm very excited about. When it comes when it comes my day, that that cup is poured out, you know what? It's going to be empty. Because that cup was poured out on Christ, who took on the wrath of God for us. Can you imagine? That's, Jesus is going to say, uh, no, that's one of mine. That one's a righteous one. That's a child of mine. And I've taken on that wrath. you imagine? Not only does Jesus take on the wrath of God for us, then he calls us righteous. It, it just blows me out of the water. It totally blows me out of the water. That a Jesus would absorb the wrath of God for me in my rebellion, by the way, when I was still an enemy of his, and speak of my righteousness through him to the Father. That he would say, no, no, He's one of ours. And so that's the question I, I ask, I leave with you today. As we're working our way through Habakkuk, you know, we, we have the, the children of God who are being disciplined, hard times are on them. God's molding and shaping them to be all that he has designed them to be. But yet on the same side, God's pouring out his wrath on these people. And so the question we just need to ask ourselves, when you see what's going on in your life, you just, Ask yourself the question, hmm, I wonder if this is God's mercy on me, that he's shaping me, molding me to be all that I can actually be? Or is God pouring something different out on me? Because if you are here this morning and you sense that maybe God's about, is, is pouring something different than his mercy on you, today's a day that you can change that completely. Today's a day that actually can be a defining moment for you. You see, if, if, if God or Jesus is just an object to know things about and you don't know him personally, that can all change today. See, if you die without Christ, the Bible says, yes, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. But if you die and you know Christ and that cup is poured out on you, it's empty because Christ took it for you. And that can happen for you today if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. On Father's Day, of all days. So dads, do you know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? Or coming here just a religious activity for you? Mom, do you, do you know Jesus? Or coming to church is just more of a social thing? 
a teenager, college student, do you know Jesus? Do you know him today? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for our, our brief time in your word. And, and it's true, Lord, it, today is a l- little heavier than what we normally uh, talk about here. But it is something that's written in your word. And we just don't want to gloss over it. We're very thankful that you are a God of love. That you are a gracious God. That you're compassion. That you're forgiving got all those great characteristics of who you are but you're also a just God and sometimes it's it's hard for us to reconcile some of those things with who you are and so a couple things Lord we pray that for those who know Christ and life seems to be thrown upside down help us to know that the righteous live by faith even when we don't have answers to some of the things that are happening around us, we, we live by faith. We stop and we listen by faith. We write it down by faith. We wait on God by faith, knowing that you are at work. And then, Lord, our deepest desire would be if there would be anyone here today that does not know Jesus. Our whole mission the main thing that we do around here is we want to connect people to Jesus. We believe, Lord, it changes everything. It's a game changer. And so, God, if there's one, just one, maybe a dad, maybe a mom, maybe a high school student, a junior high student, college student, maybe it's a young couple that don't know you, I pray, God, that they would surrender their lives to you today that cup can pass over now because of what you did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.